right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. You don't got that. Alright? Let's go. Break it. Break it, Glenn Cross! Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Missouri's got 8.3 to win the game or whatever. They're down one point. Here comes Dixon. Four seconds, two seconds. Dixon, one second. Time's out! KU wins! KU wins in overtime! 87-86, they never got a shot! That was from Q's win over North Texas earlier this year. Yeah, right. No, it is the uh, 10-year anniversary of KU taking down Missouri. Um, So, I mean, you know, obviously there's a big game this weekend, but it's impossible not to reminisce over that February 25th will always be a big date for me. I I think for a lot of KU fans, I mean, just in general, obviously... uh, not just because it was the last game of the rivalry till now it's rebooted. But, but the way it happened. Yeah, exactly. Two great teams. And beautiful. I do think there is, a, at the very least, like that fits right in with what we were talking about on yesterday at the beginning of the show. And that also fits in with, you know, this game coming up tomorrow. The idea that KU doesn't have to win this game on Saturday to win the Big 12, to get a share of the Big 12, or to even win the, the league outright. And that was the case in that game. KU was up a game. If Missouri would have won, they would have been tied. Um, at the time. And the similarity is that if KU does win the game, they basically, it's it's the throat stomp. It's yep. the, you know, it's the finishing blow that you're going to give to the conference. That one, and that one was huge. And similar, again, similar to tomorrow. Uh, if Kansas won that one, that actually, and tomorrow this a win wouldn't clinch it for KU. But in that day, it, not, it did clinch it for KU. But that, you talk about the throat stomp, it basically declared Missouri's not even going to take a piece of this. Exactly. And that didn't officially make it clear because Kansas still had to win one more game that year. But that's kind of similar to Mar. Like if Kansas wins it, it will be it won't officially clinch it for KU, but it will come very, very, very close and it will really almost seal it for Baylor that they're not going to be part of this. Yes. And that's the other thing. Like it is a little different because tech is is still on on the forefront. Um, but for you right now, sitting at twelve and two in conference play, you win that game, you're thirteen and two. You would have to lose out. Baylor would have to win out just for them to get a share. And at that point, you'd be thirteen and two. Let's even assume Texas Tech beats TCU tomorrow. Then at that point, Texas Tech is uh, eleven and five. Or no, I'm sorry, uh, they'd be twelve and four. Yeah. So yeah. Tech would have to win their last two games, and they would have to hope that you go one and two with two games in Allen Fieldhouse, right? So yep. it very much is the what we termed yesterday kind of the knockout game. Um, we're going to talk with Brian Haney more about this coming up. The voice of the Jayhawks at about 340. We've got our game picks later in the show. we got some player audio. we got a new segment coming and lots of KU basketball talk, including right now KU takes on Baylor tomorrow. I don't know if LJ Cryer is supposed to be playing or not. Um, he was the team's really good sharpshooter from the outside, almost 14 points per game, 13 points per game for LJ Cryer. Uh, he did not play in the first game in Allen Fieldhouse. In fact, he 
randomly played in the game against Texas Tech that was uh, whatever a week or two ago, whenever that was for Baylor. Uh, besides that, that's his only game that he has played since January 25th. So I, I don't know what the availability is going to be, but obviously that, that's going to change things a big way. Bill Self talked about after the game how, you know, when, when you're missing one of the team's best shooters on the floor, like that allows you to play them defensively differently. It allows you to, you know, maybe in certain ways, like with Kendall Brown or uh, James Sohan, you know, you're not going to respect them as much as three-point shooters. So you can sag off a little bit and that's going to allow you to be better in the lane. Him playing or not, might not be the difference in, like, or it wasn't the difference in, in KU winning that first game when you win by 24, but it very much could be the difference in, in them winning or, or losing or it being a, a really close game or KU winning handily, whatever it is, in this game. So I, I just don't know what will happen there. But I, I do think this game is once again going to come down to how well KU just grabs defensive rebounds. Yeah, that'll be a big, it'll be big for, um, it feels like, we're you know, this is... It, you know, the, the broken record, but, um, David McCormick and Jalen Wilson mm -hmm. and Christian Brown, cause Brown, um, does plenty of filling up the stat line himself. It'll be big for those guys. I think especially Jalen and Dave. And then, um, it, the, the minutes that Mitch gets, I, I, because it seems like now Zach Clements is limited to matchup dependent, uh, duties. Um, I do think that, it'll be Mitch Lightfoot. Um, and so it'll be big for him. I think the thing about Cryer, you gotta, they've got to at least bluff it, right? Like if he's physically capable, you're not just going to, you know, you're not going to put him in danger of, of hurting himself worse. But I, I feel like if he's at all capable, at the very least, if you're Scott Drew, you've got to bluff it. If nothing else to make KU play a defense that they, you know, didn't necessarily think or weren't sure if they if they need to play. Yeah, I think it's like I I have not seen any reports on this, and and maybe I missed something, but what this says to me is that they're just keeping it under wraps one way or the other. They either want to, to your point, not let Kansas know so that they don't prepare for not having him, or they don't want Kansas to know they do have him. In the off chance Kansas does prepare to not have him, I think the and more they do. Self's not a not a dummy. I mm -hmm. think he's probably planning for him being there. Yes, I would I would think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he uh, is shooting forty seven percent from three this season. He is really really good. The um, last update I'm seeing um, is. LJ Cryer injury status will Baylor guard play versus Oklahoma State on Monday. Yeah, no, so that he, I mean, so there's play, yeah. nothing about tomorrow's game. Yeah. Um. So the thing with with Baylor, as far as the defensive rebounding goes, Bears are fifth in the country in offensive rebound rate, which goes directly against KU with defensive rebounding, obviously. And all four of KU's losses this season rank in the bottom six of games they've had for worst defensive rebounding rate. So there were six defensive rebounding games. They're two and four in the other games. They're undefeated 21 and zero. and Baylor was actually at 32.7% for their offensive rebounding rate in the first game, which was actually KU's seventh worst game. But again, they are two and four in the worst six. And the cutoff number is a 35% or higher offensive rebound rate by the opponent. Baylor was under that mark. Then you have this stat for Baylor that goes in conjunction with that stat for Kansas. Baylor is 14-0 and 0 
when they grab 37% or more of their misses and they are 9-5 and five when they do not. I, I think just the commonality there is that you don't have to completely eliminate or dominate them in terms of rebounding. And again, they still had a good mark against you, but it wasn't one of their better marks. It, it wasn't their sweet spot mark, and it wasn't against a mark that was kind of a sweet spot, spot for your losses. You don't have to shut them down. It's like you're guarding Michael Jordan. You don't have to hold him to five points. Try to hold him to 28 points and make him work for it and you know, make him have, instead of shooting 50%, try to make him shoot 38% or make him shoot 40% in, in, in route to getting high 20s or something like that. That's going to be the key to me. Can you just avoid being dominated by Baylor on the glass? Because there's very much a world where Baylor wins this game and they have 18, 19 offensive rebounds. Yeah, the, the 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 thing you can quantify as far as why it's important to grab defensive rebounds is is obvious, and that's if you're especially if you're KU, and this is not um, one of Bill Self's best defensive teams. You're just making yourself you're giving them a, a free or an extra possession that they wouldn't have otherwise had if you grab that rebound. Um, so if you're not a particularly great de- on the, and on the flip side, if KU gets an offensive rebound, that's huge for them because they're a great offensive team and they're getting an extra possession. Um, and so that's something you, you can kind of quantify. Something you can't quantify but I still think is very important is I do believe in the emotional side of that, that if you play really good defense for 32 seconds and they just chuck something, uh, but then they're in really good offensive rebound position, and they seal you off, and they grab that one, and then you have to do it all over again after you've just played a really good, solid defensive possession. Uh, again, that's not something you can quantify as far as momentum or emotion or whatever. But that's a kill. I mean, it's just it's a you hate that feeling. Yeah, and also you know if you're getting offensive rebounds, it's usually going to lead to easier shots after the rebound. The defense yeah, is disorganized. A lot of times, it results in a layup. Right, right. Unless you're. Dennis Rodman, who like intentionally wouldn't put it back because he wanted to keep it at like two points and twenty rebounds, but for the most part, a defensive rebound or an offensive rebound almost immediately leads to a, a, a an open layup. I mean, that's the other thing. Baylor has a trend of losing in in games where they have their worst two point shooting games, which again, that's a ton of pressure on the KU bigs down low. But I think maybe as importantly with the rebounds too, outside of the just giving up extra possessions and giving them easier shots and everything is that's KU's best chance of running. It's it's grabbing a rebound, having Jalen Wilson grab it and go, having Christian Brown grab it and go, Ochai, whoever, or gra- having Dave grab it and quick outlet pass and, and getting going. We know how good this team can be on the road. And for a Baylor team that is so good at offensive rebounding, that's not all skill. Like, it's not they're just good at offensive rebounding because they have Oscar Shibwe or because they have this one dude. They do have guys who are good at offensive rebounding, so I don't want to take that away. But it's also a scheme thing a little bit. It's, you know, they're going to send two, three guys at the glass every time. And the counter to that, if they don't get the offensive rebound or if they don't stop your initial fast break or slow you down, is that you're going to have numbers the other way. And that's what led to kind of the avalanche and the onslaught that KU put on them in Allen Fieldhouse. Now, we've seen teams, by the way, do the exact opposite of that. Sacrifice getting offensive rebounds so they can make make sure they are back on defense. I don't know what to expect from Baylor in this game because with the way that first game went, you would be crazy to think that any coaching staff would just say, let's just do the exact same thing, let alone Scott Drew, who you know is a very good coach, a national title-winning coach. He's not dumb enough to just say, hey, we're going to replicate that same formula in the first game. But also at the same point in time, 
sure, they might make a, a few adjustments or change things. You're not going to, at the same point in time, say, yeah, but let's completely do one of our identity. Like, that is one of their identities. That yeah. is one of the biggest things about them. They're not going to say, we're just going to completely not do that now. You know, that'd be like, like imagine if Steph Curry was like, you know, I, I had a bad three-point shooting game last game. I'm not going to take any threes in this next game. Yeah, I, I, and yeah and it's, that's a really good comparison. I go back to a question that I asked Newell uh, earlier this week, and I said, you know, if you're a more athletic team against KU, do you want to try to run with them since they're so great running, or do you want to try to force them into a half-court game and settle things down and slow things down? And he said, no, I think you, you if you're a great team, and he brought up Arizona, Gonzaga, Kentucky, he said if you're a great team, you play how you play. Um, you, you know, you, you make some adjustments to the opponent, but it's, you know, he said if, if you're Gonzaga or Arizona, you're happy to try to run because that's what they do, and that's what makes them great. And so to, to talk, you know, with, with regards to Baylor, um, they may be a little gun-shy because of, of how badly it did backfire on them. But I, you know, I all to, to pull that quote from Jesse and put it into this context. It, you know, this what they're doing. You know, got them a national title last year. They're still a, a top ten team this year. They're, I mean, I I would be shocked if they're not at least a top three seed in the NCAA tournament, and probably you know, and very likely a two seed even. So you you're not going to stray very far away. You may change things yeah, up a little a bit tweaks. but you're not going to stray too far away from what's turned you into a perennial top 10 basketball program yeah. like imagine if mike leach uh, like in their bowl game we're going to hunker like, down and yeah. do defense because our, our eye formation our air game. raid screwed us in uh, you know the air raid didn't work out mm -hmm. and screwed us and, and got us a big loss in week two yeah so all of a sudden it's week 11 no we're going to change it up that's not how it's going to work exactly you'll change up the tendencies a little you make a few adjustments and maybe that is enough for baylor but um it's not going to completely eliminate that. So or find out ex exactly what did Kansas do to because, like you said, they still got theirs on the offensive end, but not to the huge level. Find out what did Kansas do to prevent that, and what can what can Baylor then do to counteract that adjustment? Well, and, and the thing is here, like that, this is under the assumption too that KU is going to have another good defensive rebounding game or or good enough of limiting Baylor. There's a world where Baylor just does the exact same game plan against Kansas as the first game, except Baylor does get more offensive rebounds. KU has more trouble getting defensive rebounds, and then the runouts aren't there because you're just not getting the ball. You know. Um, I, I kind of go back, though, as I'm looking at this game to, and by the way, Baylor's also good at forcing turnovers, which um, that's there's, just there's, a Big 12 thing. I was going to say, there's news with the Big 12. Yeah, defense. right. And, you it's know. like Kansas is the only, Kansas is, is the, is a weird outlier in the Big 12 this year. Every defense, you know, <laughs> they're, they're a tremendous offense. Every opponent they've played in the Big 12, it seems like is a, a lesser to, decent defense or offense with a great defense. Kansas is a, is a decent defense with a tremendous offense. Um, it's just weird. They're they're They've kind of been, and I wonder if that's helped them to get to where they are 12 and two in the conference. They've kind of been everybody's curveball. They've been everybody's changeup. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously that'll, that'll be important. Like taking care of the basketball, uh, but going back to the whole theory about kind of the knockout game thing. I am expecting a much closer game. I don't know how you wouldn't be. It was a 24-point game in Allen Fieldhouse. It'd be cooler. It'd be sweet if it didn't. Uh, to quote Matthew McCannahay, it'd be a whole lot cooler if it was. Yeah. Um, if you blast him by 24 in, in Wacko, yeah, that'd be great. I'm not expecting it, though. James Akinjo, not going to go 0 for 11. 
feel confident about that. LJ Cryer, again, he might play, he might not, but he might. Matthew Meyer went two of nine, probably going to shoot better than that. He's one of the best shot makers in the country. Baylor shot 32% in that game, um, probably going to shoot better than that. And again, even though it's not going to completely stray from their identity, I doubt there will be as many chances in transition for KU, even if there still are. So all that stuff is kind of the reversion to the mean type talk of this is why Baylor could do better. Or there were all these weird outliers that happened. But while all that is true, KU had a 24-point win. So you have a buffer there. They still only in a 24-point win. Like this wasn't the Kansas State game where they went 15 of 24 from three and won by 20 points. KU only went five of 20 from three in that game. KU had 17 turnovers. In that game, David McCormick went one for six, and that was with Baylor still having Jonathan Chachua, who is out now. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have they have less big depth now, and how they how KU handles that, I don't know because they they've pretty much since then Flo Thamba's been the starting center, and then the backup center minutes are going to like Jeremy Sohan, who's like a six foot nine wing. So maybe that means KJ Adams minutes today. Maybe that is an opportunity for for Zach Clements. But anyway, um, I think this is going to be a slugfest. I think this is going to be a great game. Like I said, loss isn't a big deal in this game. It would be a bit of a missed opportunity in terms of an opportunity to put a stranglehold on winning the Big 12 outright, stranglehold on getting a one seed. And like I said, in these past games, like these are the Bill Self knockout games. So I don't know. I think you know where I'm leaning in this one. I, I agree. And I, I think it's worth noting that Kansas, now look, Kansas played their AAA plus mm-hmm. game against Baylor. Things worked out that you know we, we just you know we, we just hashed out everything that went well for Kansas in that game at Allen Fieldhouse, but as a team, I'm not sure Kansas can play a whole lot better than they played that day. But if you look at like the the that month or or if that was part of a five game stretch, Kansas is better now than they were then. I think Baylor is probably better now. Now again, I I I don't think this translates to just because KU is better, they're going to now win by 30 instead of 25 or 26 or. 24, whatever it was. Um, but I do think it is worth noting that Kansas is better than as a as a whole, they're better than they were. I mean, we've talked a lot. David McCormick, like you said, he he didn't do great in that game. And we've talked a lot lately about how he's become way more consistent, way, way more reliable. So um I think, you know, it that's another thing is Kansas is a better they're they they drubbed him. Doesn't mean they're going to drop them again because Baylor, I think, is also better because they've got a great coach and they improve over the course of the season. Um, but it is worth noting that Kansas is better than they were when they played Baylor. Um, and so, yeah, there, there's reason to be. I, you know, I, I don't. I think we're both in agreement. It's 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 silly to expect a, a win like that. Um, but it's it's there's no reason to go in there scared. Yeah, and if you told me David McCormick is going to have a game where he's feeling okay with the foot and he's going to have a good game, I would feel even more confident in this one. That is kind of the one hesitation for me after seeing him kind of be gimpy, running up a, a little bit differently in the K-State game, that if that's not healthy, that's going to be very dangerous and troublesome for KU against a good offensive rebounding team, which, again, I do think is the most important kind of facts, facet in this game. All right, we're going to be joined by Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, in about 15 minutes. Coming up next, we get to our daily poll. With Adam Dravetta, I am Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? 
You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. That time on a Friday, we talk with the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, who you can hear tomorrow here on these same airwaves. Pre-game 5.30, tip-off 7 o'clock here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Uh, Brian, we were going over some, I guess, knockout games is how we referred to them for Bill Self on, on yesterday's show. Games that maybe didn't mathematically guarantee KU a title or, in some cases, maybe didn't even put KU fully ahead of the other team like a couple of years ago in Waco, but games that they felt like was going to be the difference and that, you know, if they lost the game, they could still win the title or maybe they were still neck and neck. But if they won the game, it almost felt like they were really putting a stranglehold on the other team or the rest of the conference. So, for instance, like the 2016 game at Oklahoma or the 2018 game at Texas Tech and so on. Uh, this really uh, isn't like anything on paper that I can point to to say, you know, oh, well, this is why it's going to be that tomorrow. But I do feel like that signature stamp that those teams in some of those past seasons with those knockout games, uh, like this is the opportunity for KU to do that tomorrow. And I, I just kind of am getting some of those those past vibes headed into this game. Yeah, I agree. And um, I'm driving right now, so I don't have a media guy in front of me, but there have been a couple of those in Waco too, which I'm sure you guys have on your list. But mm-hmm. uh, you, you love that because while you can't say, unless, of course, Texas Tech loses at 5 p.m. TCU, you can't really say, you know, they've clinched a share of a 20th Big 12 title tomorrow night. For all intents and purposes, winning that game would because it would be hard to imagine Kansas going 0 for 3 in the final week of the season when two of those three are at home. And Bill Self has a 95% home court winning percentage. And I think TCU, though, impressive and you know projected as a tournament team, I fully expect Kansas to sweep that doubleheader. I really do. I just think we're that much better of a team. And so it would be hard to imagine, you know, Kansas just completely coughing it up one, two, three times over in the final week should you get that win on Saturday. And so, yeah, I think the knockout term you guys use is apropos. I mean, they've already got the Bears and Red Raiders up against the ropes to stick with the boxing analogies. Uh, They're a little bit wobbling and woozy. But, man, you win that one on Saturday, and you've all but clinched it. So I, I love the way you guys framed it. I'm going to go back and listen to the podcast when we're done so I can hear that great discussion yesterday. That's a terrific topic. And how blessed and spoiled are we as a fan base that you guys can do two hours of radio <laughs> on all the conference title knockout games we've had because, well, we win the conference title almost every single year. This would be the 20th in 26 years of the Big 12 the 63rd all-time, a national record. Uh, we're pretty for- fortunate, that's for sure. And obviously we want to get more postseason banners hung for Final Fours and national titles. But wow, there is no contemporary when it comes to conference success and regular season dominance like Bill Self. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you mentioned, there are some of those Baylor games in there, like the 2021, which it did give both teams exactly the same amount of losses in Big 12 play, 1-1. But it almost felt like at that point, like, okay, this is KU kind of flexing their muscle. The 2017 game was the one that really sticks out as being kind of a knockout game. You had two top five teams. Those was with Josh Jackson and the crew that came back 
And uh, I think that at the time, earlier that week, you beat West Virginia too. And that gave KU like 12 and, and something conference play. And the rest of the teams had like five losses. So basically a knockout game there. Obviously last year, um, I know this isn't a knockout game, but just in terms of the series, you have the senior day game in Allen Fieldhouse. Do you have a, a favorite memory from, from broadcasting this series? You know, the one you just referenced, 2017 in Waco, was huge. That was my first year on the call, and I remember going in there. Uh, Landon Lucas, I want to say, had, had missed some free throws earlier in the month or early in the week, and he and he vowed to he like promised fans on Twitter he was going to avenge it. And I thought, man, that's a bold move. And I think if, if memory serves, he stepped up and iced it with some huge ones in crunch time, and it was just such a gutty win to go in there and get it. Uh, with that team that at that point had a full head of steam and everything was just kind of falling into place. And, you know, obviously, in hindsight, we look back on 2017 and we think, man, if uh, if Yudoka wouldn't have gotten hurt and we had a little more athleticism at that five spot, you know, to go up against Oregon in the Elite Eight, they'd probably go to the Final Four and, and have a great shot to win it all. But i tell you what, uh, on that day, you know, Landon came through in a major way for Kansas, making the most of, of everything he had in him to, to help lift the Jayhawks to a huge win at Waco. So that's certainly one of my favorites. And then you referenced uh, 2020 down there. Uh, that was obviously a huge one. Game day in the house. The atmosphere, the stage was set. Chip and Joanna are there doing uh, their Magnolia Market stuff. Chip's chucking threes at halftime from midcourt. That's kind of a funny story. I think he was supposed to shoot three of them. He missed all of them badly. He kept reaching for basketballs and kept heaving them. And eventually, after eight and nine misses, even the Baylor students were kind of turning on him a little bit. I love them, by the way. I think they're, they're cute, and I watch their show on occasion, I'll admit. But that was a funny memory. And then, so not only did Chip have a bad day on the court, but Kansas broke everybody's hearts on that day with the final score. And it was just such a satisfying feeling piling on that bus having gone in there and played the role of spoiler on their big game day setting day kentucky did that to us a few weeks back we got a chance to do that tomorrow and if they do knockout game is a great term guys let's hope they're delivering that blow tomorrow night the the first meeting between these two obviously was was heavily in favor of ku and i don't know what the status of lj crier is going to be for tomorrow's game but obviously that's going to be a uh, pretty important uh decision with him playing or not and I know Bill Self mentioned that kind of in the post game I think after that game about how it really did change the way they could guard them but obviously you're not expecting for KU to win this one by 24 or win it going away when you're playing in Waco against a team who you know is gonna be looking for a little bit of vengeance in that regard but what do you remember from the first broadcast that really stood out to you or, or the first game um as we get ready for the second one and, and how KU could could get the sweep against Baylor this year? I just remember a Kansas team that came out with their hair on fire and, you know, one Saturday removed from the disappointment of the Kentucky results with a similarly charged atmosphere. This time they delivered. This time, you know, they spread it around. It was good balance. Uh, they killed them on the glass. They scored in transition. They, they basically put their foot on the throat early. And you'll recall it was a 34-point game when they kind of put their, their foot off the gas with about five minutes to go and started to put in the second string of the walk-ons. and 34 became 24 when it was all said and done. And we're super greedy, you know, to, to wish that it would have been north of 30. Uh, when a win is a win is a win when you're beating a top-10 team like that. But knowing that they kind of, 
usurped Kansas last year as the top dogs in the Big 12 for one season, winning a national championship, becoming the first school not named Kansas to win a men's basketball national title in the Big 12 era. It felt kind of good to restore that top perch and position of dominance in the league with not only a win, but an emphatic win. And so that, to me, is probably the biggest thing I remember about it. It's just the way that Kansas really took it to them, and especially on the heels of a day in which you know, we did not look like a national title team in terms of athleticism the previous week when Kentucky was faster and longer and stronger and better in every phase. To go out and, and, and have a type of performance where we could kind of puff out our chest a little bit and, and look like the dominant team in a top 10 head-to-head, I think that restored a lot of confidence in uh, you know just Kansas's national presence as a as a national title contender this year because we don't have the athletes that some of our previous projected one seed teams type have uh, you know we don't have necessarily some of the strengths I, I would argue that if the nineteen Bill Self era teams while this one is in position right now to be a a ninth one seed caliber club in the last fourteen years and I include twenty twenty even though a bracket didn't come out because of the pandemic. Nine and 14 years is amazing. I, I would think, though, that from a player evaluator standpoint, from a lottery pick and first-round draft pick projected standpoint, this is not one of his more talented teams. But on that day and on days like the other night versus Kansas State and Oklahoma State, we, we've really seen what this club can look like when they start to hit on all cylinders. And, no, they may not have you know, a, a five-star first-round draft pick rim protector on the back line. And they may not have some of the other pieces that previous self-teams have had that were in a similar spot rankings-wise and bracketology-wise at this time of the year. But one thing they do have going for them that many years has been a common denominator, they are peaking at the right time. And, and they're making the most of what they do have. And so as I think about the stars on this team, Christian Brown, who was rated in the 90s, Ochai was ranked 312th. When 312, that is, when uh, when he committed to Kansas, you know, you look at a guy like Jalen Wilson, who was in the high 40s, low 50s, the time of his commitment, they all look like first and second team, all big 12 players now, doesn't matter what they were ranked then, self has gotten every drop of potential out of those guys. And I say all that to say that on that day, going back to the first Baylor meeting, when they won 83 to 59, they looked the part of, of a top three or four team in the country in a dominating fashion. In a year where otherwise, Derek and, and Adam, you'd agree, we've had to eke out a lot of close ones in a really competitive league, and we haven't had that usual separation and dominance. And no, I don't expect that tomorrow at all. But when you ask for memories of that day, that's the day we got our swagger back. And that swagger has stayed with Kansas every game since, with the exception of the last 55 seconds in Austin, Texas. Uh, so that's, that's probably my prevailing sentiment. We got our mojo back on that day versus Baylor. Ochai Baji is going to be celebrating senior night next week, and, and we'll have more time to talk about all the seniors because there are a lot of them who are going to be doing that um, a week from now. But um, his play just continues to be so steady across the season and, and so good not just in terms of the stats he's putting up and the numbers, but what he's opening up for others, his leadership out there. And, you know, I, I, I'm i glad you said this yesterday. I, I mean, this is kind of peeling the, the curtain back a little bit, um, but we're at the media availability, and, and Ochai Baji was one of the players who spoke at the media avail. And after Ochai exits off, and I, I heard you make a comment, there were just, you know, we don't, we don't realize how lucky we are getting to cover this kid because he is, he is so nice to talk to. He's such a good kid. 
Um, I, I just wasn't sure if you had any good like Ochagbaji stories that um, I, I guess at this point in the season when we are getting closer to senior day and, and kind of the reminiscing portion of things. Well, he's, he's just so humble. He is as genuine of a student athlete as I've ever covered. And the kid he reminds me most of in terms of achieving the superstar status and yet not allowing it to go to his head to where he starts to turn down media requests or not sign autographs or act like he's too cool for school. The kid that stayed humble, grounded, and genuine as well as anybody, and he still is today, what, four years deep in his NBA career, is Devontae Graham. And so for us to be blessed with two guys cut from that same cloth in, in a, in a four-year window here is just remarkable. Two first-team All-American Big 12 Player of the Years that had a killer instinct on the court but we're the nicest guy ever off of it, and we're, we're genuinely appreciative of what wearing that Kansas uniform was all about. Didn't take a single day for granted. And, you know, a lot of guys feel that way, but they don't articulate it especially well because they're more introverted or reserved. They're not great with the media. Ochai has the million-dollar smile. He always says the right thing. He always talks about, you know, stuff that uplifts his teammates and, and, and instills, you know, gratitude for being here, as opposed to some other guys I see around college basketball that are very much not that way. You know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Texas Tech's team this year, and I think they have the ultimate buy-in team concept and all that. But I watched the body language of Terrence Shannon in some of their games. I watched the way he was arguing with his head coach in the Texas game, a game they won on the road, and there was bickering. And I'm thinking, man, if that's their number one NBA prospect, and he's not the best player on their team, but he's the best prospect, I look at our guy who who just always says the right thing, always is picking other guys up, always is is uh, representing you like the way you want. You know that that's a guy who breathes life into the room and doesn't do the opposite. And Ochai is the quintessential example of a guy that uh, you know, rises the tide for all ships based on his attitude, his consistency. Uh, you know, the work ethic. And then on top of that, he's a freak athlete that's just gotten incrementally better as a player and a prospect each and every year. That's so, so exciting when you see somebody that talented in terms of skill be that great in terms of an individual. You asked for a a good off-the-court story. I may have told you this one once before, and and I'm not saying it's going to wind up being this way, but have have you seen Ochai do any NILs so far this year? Have you seen him doing any endorsements? I don't think so. he told me in October, and by the way, not that there's anything wrong with doing NILs. These guys should, you know, be capitalistic and advantageous and get after it. But Ochai told me in October when some of the other guys were signing up for their respective deals and, and one guy signing up for a ton of them, he said, you know, I really don't want that distraction. He said, if, if I put my head down, bust my butt, and have the best senior season I can have, and we achieve our team goals, then I'm going to more than make up for it next year in terms of, of reaping what I sow. And he said, it'd be great, sure, but he's like, I just really want to focus on making this the best possible senior season it could be. And anything that takes away from my time and focus on that, I, I don't want to commit to. And, and I thought, man, how mature is that? Because, you know, some of these NILs really don't require that much time. Maybe a 30-minute photo shoot, a couple of Instagram posts, maybe a tweet. And, and he said, no, he's like, I understand that down the road in a bigger picture, if, if I do everything I need to do right now, you know, there's going to be plenty to, uh, to reel in at that point. And, and I thought, how mature, how selfless, how team-focused and, and big picture 
oriented as that mindset. I mean, that's that's just so special. And I may have told you that story before. I can't remember, but uh, I, I just I, I don't see many kids in this day and age having that type of outlook. And, and that's the type of guy Ochai is. I've gotten to know his father, Alofu, quite a bit, and and his mama too. And he comes from such a great family. You know, his sister played volleyball at Texas, and so they're all good athletes. But they're all great teammates, and, and they put we over me every single time. And, and he got that from his mom and his dad, who played collegiately. And I, I just think for us to have a guy that gifted who's also that good of a person, man, we, we hit the jackpot with Ochai Abaji. I, I just wish we could sign up for a kid like Devontae or Oach every four or five years. But the truth of the matter is, those guys at most places, maybe not Kansas, but at most places, you don't get those very often. Uh, we, we've been pretty spoiled to have several here. Yeah, and, and to your point on, on the family, I think they do deserve so much credit. Again, there's nothing wrong with you know the NIL stuff for the transfer portal, and for a lot of guys, that is the best route. But like, for example, the sister, I remember being a you know basically the equivalent of a five star volleyball recruit, goes to Texas, gets over recruited a couple times, good in the limited time she played, but she never transferred away. She she just kind of stuck it out, and um, I don't know. I, I think there's just something to be said about uh, that with the family. Anyway, Brian, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Brian, one last thing. What was the arrival destination the last time you rode a train? Ooh, wow. Uh, I'll tell you what it was. It was, uh, well, I take it back. I, I've ridden some trains recently um, on vacations in the last three or four years when I was overseas, and that's what you do in Europe. But the train story that came to mind was sitting in your chair, Adam, doing Rock Chalk Sports Talk in the summer of, like, 2004 and doing an i-70 series promotion for royals cardinals where we partnered with amtrak and we said the whole theme was we're taking the i-70 series off the road and on the rails you and four rock chuck sports talk listeners will get to join the host of the show on a party train to st louis <laughs> for a full weekend of cardinals royals and camaraderie in the back cabin and you know stay at the adams mark hotel underneath the arch and all this stuff and so we, we really made a, a train trip out of it. And, you know, back then, you know, you're schlepping, trying to trade whatever kind of radio deals you can make to, to you know, put forth a pretty cool sounded promotion. And so we cut a deal with Amtrak, and, and they, it was probably like a $20 train ticket, but I had to trade for it back in the day to make anything happen. And, and then we got the, the Royals tickets donated, and we, we gave four lucky listeners, one of which I'm, I'm a dear friend with to this day, Dave Schuler, uh, 20 years later. Uh, you know, hopefully one of the great weekend memories of their lives as sports fans, at least, because uh, it, was, it was a blast. So uh, I haven't taken the train in a while. I don't know the route for the question. I'm sure you're about to tell me, but that's probably my favorite train trip we ever took. No, I, I can question. tell you right yeah. now, there's never I, <laughs> my brain just fires off in all sorts of different directions. I never have a reason for my one last thing questions. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you who does have a reason for his way of thinking, and that's Nate Miller of the Miller Retirement Group. He's got a game plan for your retirement needs, so check him out today. Just like the Jayhawks are drawing up their plans to take on the Baylor Bears and Scott Drew, he's got plans uh, to help you have the best investment for your future and the easiest retirement once you get there. So check him out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com. Maybe even you can invest in trains like Adam Dravetta. Mm. Hey, thanks, fellas. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Brian. That segue, why he's a professional. You can hear him on the call tomorrow. Brian, appreciate the time as always, man. Always a pleasure, guys. Take care.
All right, that was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. All right, Brian Haney joining us on Fridays here on RCST. With Adam Brevet, I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Adam Dravetta. I am Derek Johnson. Before we get into our game picks here, a quick note. Um, Bobby Pettiford, his freshman season is officially over. Uh, according to Bill Self, he had season-ending surgery. It is on a core muscle. Um, I thought the injury he went out with was like a hip or something like that, so... Sounds about in the right area. I wonder if, yeah, if, if this, maybe I shouldn't speculate, but I do wonder if, if maybe this is like whatever this is resulted from him overworking another muscle part to overcompensate for what it hurt before. I don't know. It's possible. I don't know. I, I know Self did mention a couple times in, in pressers that him playing doesn't make it worse. It's just painful to play through. But certainly, um, you know, for a guy who had kind of lost favor in the rotation, like if he would have been when he came back where he was before he went out with mm-hmm. the injury, he's probably just they're saying, hey, just play through it and then we'll deal with it in the offseason. But because he had kind of moved back into the, you know, behind Joe Yesfu role, Remy Martin could be coming back. Who knows? Um, now it does make it, I think, more important for you to get Remy back now that that is the case. But I think it probably made it easier to do that. Yeah, um, I also think it. I yeah yeah I agree. Clearly, I, I, it was I affecting guess, uh, his yeah. play. And I I just I with with Pettiford himself I I beyond just you know you never want anybody to be hurt. Um, there were like he had moments and maybe it was because of the injury later in in the year where he was playing. You kind of thought, man, what's you know something's kind of what happened to him? Where's you know what what's what's been lost? Um. But I hope he gets back 100%, not only just for his sake, whatever he does, but, man, he looked. There were moments. There, we, we, we were gushing. We were gushing over him earlier in this season. He was. He could be a fully healthy. When he was going earlier this year, he was a blast to watch. He won't get, be able to get a medical red shirt. He played in 14 games, and I think six or seven is the cutoff there. So that won't be able to be a thing for him. But yeah, clearly he was he was not himself since coming back from the injury. Hadn't really had a ton of production since then. So it, it makes sense. And like you said, if he can get back to the guy he was before the injury, which I kind of would expect to happen. Like I, I view more of this struggle based on this. Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence that that the kind of the the moments he had after his injury when he came back and he still we just he looked so different than than the the bouncy and just quick guy that we saw in the in the non-con play i don't think it's a coincidence i, I think they got to have something to do with each other i i don't know you know what his role would be on next year's team because he was ahead of joe yesfu for a while then the injury happened joe yesfu now ahead of him so far in the rotation and depth chart however you want to look at it but if you look at next year there's no like, remy there's no Remy. It, it's basically Bobby, Dewan, and um, Joe Yesifu as the three kind of lead guards. But we know Joe Yesifu plays a lot of off guard, so there's minutes that would get split up. Like, clearly, even if he was the third guard there, there's a 15 to 25-minute roll 
off the bench there for Bobby. And if he can I, I shoot could well, a, yeah. If he can, if one of those three guys can figure out how to shoot this off season and shoot well, they're going to really start eat, hogging up the minutes for them. And that's probably the advantage of doing this now, as opposed to waiting to the off season. You can get an extra month of recovery so that he has more time in the off season to heal up and and work on some of those things. But I I still think bright future for Bobby Pettiford. But like I said, uh, I think that means probably a little bit more that you are leaning on the idea that Remy Martin's going to be back because outside of Dewan Harris and Joe Yesfu, you don't really have a a third option, a backup plan if something, if if bleep hits the fan, so to speak, uh, moving forward. Okay, let's get on to our game picks here in the 4 o'clock hour on your Friday. Adam is 16-11 and 11 in college basketball. He went 2-3 and three last week. I am right above 500, 14-13 after going 3-2. I got, I, I think I got done in by picking against Kansas, didn't I? I'm almost positive. I think we both did, though. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, There's yeah. Like six-point line we, against yeah, West we, Virginia. Yeah, we both gave West Virginia the points. Stupid us. Okay, we're going to do 10 games this week. We're going to really ramp it up. We're getting close to March. First up, number four, Purdue, giving up two points at Michigan State. Um, Michigan State's kind of on a down, but if they're going to turn into a team, it's it, this might be going against my stock market, my college basketball stock market picks, because that's all based on West or, uh, Michigan State waking up and turning into the classic or not classic, but what become of the last decade or so of an Izzo team going nuts toward the end of the year and coming out of nowhere. But I'm going to go with Purdue. I do know their offense is hideous. I mean, excuse me, their defense is hideous and their offense is exquisite. Um, but I think Purdue wins outright. And with a line that small, I'll, I'll take the Boilermakers. I like Purdue as well. Uh, the, uh, the defense is not very good, but I just, in a game where Purdue has like the... Oh gosh, three best players on the floor. Yeah, I mean with Jaden Ivy and the two big men, like the, Michigan State doesn't have stars. So I, I'm going to take Purdue minus the two points and and not really look back on it. Number six, Kentucky is giving up three points at number eighteen, Arkansas. That could be a really exciting win for the Razorbacks, um, but I really think Kentucky is just in the. Now they did just didn't they just lose to Tennessee a week and a half yeah, ago something like that two weeks ago. Um, so maybe I maybe I'm misspeaking here, but I I, I view Tech or Kentucky as as really the only team, and maybe I'm just so jaded because of how well they performed in Allen Fieldhouse, but I view Kentucky as 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 the closest thing to an equal to Gonzaga as there is in the nation right now. And I think they're going to assert themselves down the stretch. I'm not sure they'll lose a game the rest of the regular season. I think they'll win the SEC tournament. Um, so I am picking the Wildcats. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to do that as well. I just I'm very high on Kentucky this year, and they've performed really well in some big road environments. You look at the game in Allen Fieldhouse, Arkansas though. Watch out for this team. They have won 12 of their last 13 games. I think Kevin Flaherty mentioned them as a team to watch uh, on his appearance in RCST earlier this week. And featured in those 12 of 13 wins, their only loss is by one point on the road against top 25 Alabama team. They're undefeated at home in this stretch of 13 straight games. And that features two top 10 wins. Auburn, Tennessee's not top 10 in the AP poll, but they are in Ken Palm. Um, they have been really, really good. So it wouldn't surprise me if Arkansas wins this game. They play top, really good defense. They play really fast. But I do like Kentucky, and 
Um, I'm just really high on the Wildcats. Number- I, al- I also think, real quick, there's a there's a school to the west of here and a school to the east of here that really needs to think about getting into a bidding war for Eric Musselman because he's he's a stud. I think he's a yeah. fantastic coach, and I think K State or in Missouri may, it may be trickier because they're in the same conference, but. You know, if there's a school that really wants to step up and commit and, and really turn around their basketball program, Musselman is a good, good coach. I mean, I, I think he could become, like, the next big name for a blue blood. Like, he's a terrific coach. North Carolina? Yeah, that, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that, that's, the first, that, that's the first thing that came to my mind. I think they're given... Um, I think they're given Hubie a... a, a, a they're gonna, there's no way they don't give him yeah. next year, too. So it may be, I don't know if it'll be too late, but yeah, I, I was, that was when I talked about Blue Bell, that was the first one that came to my mind. Okay, uh, next game on the docket, number three, Auburn at number 17, Tennessee. This is funny because you have these two SEC games, Kentucky playing at a top 20 opponent, Auburn playing at a top 20 opponent, Kentucky's favored by three, but in this one, Auburn is the underdogs by three. Even though they're higher ranked? Yep. Um, you know what? I, I give me the volunteers. I kind of, I it's three points. You said, yeah. That that's kind of where I start wavering. Four points is kind of where I start wavering of, I of of if I think one team may win, but I like the underdog with the points. It's about four, you know, because it's it's over a, a bucket. Um, but I, I no, I'm I'm gonna take. I'll lay the points with Tennessee. Tennessee has been really good at home. They haven't lost a game at home this season. They're 20-7 overall. All seven losses have come on neutral or away from home. They're ranked 10th on Ken Palm. The defense has been fantastic. They have the third-ranked defense in the country. They force a ton of turnovers. Um, They prevent you from getting easy shots. Auburn has a good offense, and they have taken care of the basketball a pretty good amount in terms of overall turnover percentage, but they have not been good in terms of getting the ball stolen from them. I know this is just one thing I'm cherry picking for a stat that helps Tennessee. I just I like Tennessee at home. Um, I'll take the Volunteers. I think you know Rick Barnes will scheme it up defensively to kind of shut down Auburn. Uh, I'll take Tennessee at home. Number seven, Duke minus seven at Syracuse. Um, I think I think Duke. I you know I, I Syracuse. I think the the name of their game right now is um, at least from the way. Jim Beheim is is seems to be scheming things up. Is just let Buddy take a billion shots, and I'm going to retire next year. Yeah, I think it's kind of been Jim Beheim's playbook this entire season. Um, I don't think much of Syracuse this year. Um, maybe I look dumb. You know, he's a tremendous coach. Beheim's an amazing coach in any one game. You know, it's it's two legendary coaches going at it. Uh, but I, I just I think Duke has the the uh, talent advantage. I think Duke has slightly a coaching advantage. I think Sir, or I think Bayheim's one of the best ever, but I think K is the best ever. So talent advantage, coaching advantage. Give me the Blue Devils. I totally forgot that they have two Bayheims on this team. Yep, Jimmy transferred there. Um, Buddy is yeah, he's averaging like 17 shots a game. You know what's funny though? The offense has actually been efficient. They're 18th in the country in offensive efficiency. Yeah, it's, I I wouldn't have guessed that. I I. I granted I haven't watched them enough, but I that surprises me. Well, what's killing them? They're 192nd on defense. That zone, baby, not working this the year. The Bayheim zone. That's because all of his dudes are like my height. 
I'm not built to be. Yeah, usually it's like they have these six, seven wings. Which is, yeah, they're six, seven. Yeah, and they're they're six, seven, and they've got eighteen feet wingspans. Yeah, no, and they just have they, the bay they eyes. like they have wingspans like condors. Ah, that makes me want to pick Duke. I'm gonna go Syracuse though. They need to get going, and they actually kind of have a little bit. They have won six of their last eight games. Um, Bayham's playing kinda, at home. Bayham's kind of quietly become as though recently too is like. A legendary coach who's getting lower seeds in the tournament, but nobody wants to see him. They have to win this game if they want any chance of making the. And I mean, they might have to win the ACC tournament no matter what because they're only fifteen and thirteen. But like, if they want any chance of making it as at large, they probably have to win out, and that would include winning this game um, of the regular season. I'll take Syracuse to keep it close. Jim Beheim special playing in uh, the Dean Dome. No, not the Dean Dome. I'm Carrier sorry, Dome, North Carolina Carrier Dome. Uh, domes, so many domes. Number nine, Texas Tech, minus five points at TCU. TCU obviously playing in the RCA Dome. Is um, that true? No, no, oh, that's okay. where that was. Um, Isn't that SMU? Or? No, that was the old uh, Indianapolis Colts Stadium before mm. they built Lucas Oil. Um, TCU at home. I was so excited about my joke, I didn't even pay attention to the line. Texas Tech is laying how much? Five points. Um, that just. It, I just don't know if enough points are going to be scored in this game. Um, yeah, it's projected to be 66-61. Give me Tech. I think it, you just, I don't know. I, I can see this. Maybe they get a little more. They actually put up, a, they, they, they've, their margins have kind of been increasing lately. I can see it being like 71-59. to 59. Yeah, so TCU is kind of, I think, holding on for dear life for a tournament uh, bid because they have lost four of their last five. They have lost five of the last seven and the next four games, they're all projected to lose. Texas Tech, Kansas twice, and at West Virginia to finish up the season. TCU is actually the number one team in the country in getting offensive rebounds. But um, even though Tech hasn't been like the greatest team in the world in, in getting defensive rebounds, they're a good offensive rebounding team. They're still good at getting defensive rebounds. I think they'll help eliminate that. I think they'll just stifle TCU on the road. Defense travels. Give me Texas Tech. I, to add, and to jump on that point, I, I think to add to that, the advantage that you're given by getting that extra possession from an offensive rebound, if there's a team to snuff that out, it's it's Texas Tech because they're so good defensively. Now, again, like we talked about, it, it could lead to an easy bucket if you get an offensive rebound. But if you actually get an offensive rebound that leads to you having to reset your whole offense, Tech is still an incredible defense. Uh, Pac-12 action, number two, Arizona, minus 11 at Colorado. Um, I know nothing about Colorado, so I'll lay the points and take Arizona. Dude, Colorado. There is the altitude. Yeah. Everything. Who did I see? I think it's Wyoming. Wyoming posts their altitude. They they paint it on like the 7, floor. Yeah, yeah, they paint it at the floor in the key. Colorado is not super good this year, um, but... It's always tough when you do that little two-step in you play at Utah, then you play at Colorado. It's doubling down on the altitude, which I don't know how much the altitude is a, a factor in a given game, but when you're playing two games Thursday, Saturday, there's only one game in between, and both of them are in altitude. It's harder to recover. You're more sore after the game. I think that second game kind of gets you. So I, I think Arizona wins. But I'll take Colorado with the 11 points to keep it close. Creighton, at number 11, Providence. The Friars are giving up five points. Um, <laughs> It's Providence, so you naturally got to take the other team to keep it close, right? Um, I, 
I don't know. I uh, Creighton just lost a good player for the season. Yeah. Um, Ryan Nembhard, who is their leader in usage rate. It's either going to be really they. Freshman. It's either going to be they rally around and they play amazing. I, I'm going to base this is such an unquantifiable thing, and I'm just going to say Providence continues their run of of stupidly close games. So I'll take Creighton in the points. And what's going to happen is I'll be right; it will be close, but it'll go to overtime. And Providence will win by six in overtime. But I'll I'll take Creighton in the points. I, I um I can see them rallying. Yeah, which is how it went last time. I agree. I'm because every game is so close for Providence. I'm taking Creighton, even though I probably like Providence win. It'll just be a close win. Ryan Nemhard being out really hurts Creighton, which sucks for them because they were really starting to come together at the right time. Uh, they were sitting at 13 and eight on the season. They've won six straight games. Who knows if they if they won? I, I don't know what their their case for the NCAA tournament is. You never know with with some of the smaller leagues, but um, not that the Big East is super small, but. Uh, yeah, I'll take Creighton with the points. Number one, Gonzaga, minus seven at number 23, St. Mary's. This is one of my favorite rivalries in college basketball, and I'm so happy St. Mary's is good again. And for my, just, just to celebrate that, I'm taking St. Mary's mm. in the points. Gonzaga's going to win by 77, but I'm taking St. Mary's in the points because I am so, I love that rivalry, Derek. I love it, and I'm so Happy St. Mary's has rebuilt themselves into a legitimate top 25 program. I went to one of these games in Moraga, which is where St. Mary's is. A lot of fun. Very close-knit environment. Um, Gonzaga is, is too good. They have a bridge over one of the ends of uh, their court. I uh, They were giving out Coke Zero at the end of the game. This one, Coke Zero, like first came out. I remember I had one. I had one sip of it. I thought it was the most disgusting thing ever. I've never had a Coke Zero again. Oh, there goes that chance of yeah. a sponsorship. I don't think we had a chance anyway. Um, you think Coke is? <laughs> you think Coke's chasing bigger game than yeah, RCST? Do you? Maybe just a little bit. Um, Gonzaga. Nobody can stop them in conference play. The thing is, you have to have two legit big men, and there are like really good teams in the WCC. I mean, San Francisco, St. Mary's, BYU. Like those are good teams, but. The way they're good it does not match up well to play Gonzaga, who has Drew Timmy inside, Chet Holmgren, who is basically a seven-foot center who plays as a wing. And for Power 5 schools, maybe you're going to be better matching up against that because maybe you're going to be a little better suited to have those two guys. These schools don't have them. Chet Holmgren, last game against San Francisco on the road, who is top 25 in Ken Palm. Gonzaga beat him by 16. He had 21 points, 16 rebounds, and like six blocks. Like, this dude is not going to win National Player of the Year. Overall body work, not best player in the country. The way he's playing right now, he's in the conversation for one of the best players in the country. I'll take Gonzaga minus seven. I would take Gonzaga minus 10 in this one. I don't necessarily like the way he's built. No, I don't either. I, I mean, don't know that, how that not, translates. Not, I mean, just not that has nothing to do with basketball. He's just... He's so scrawny, it makes me wonder where he keeps his organs. Mm. And it worry it, makes it me, is a little uncomfortable, like how thin the leg is. Like, oh no, yeah. is the leg gonna, That's gonna snap. snap, you know? Yeah, it worries worries me. Number sixteen USC at Oregon, the Ducks are giving up a point. Um That actually surprises me. USC did just play, I think, a double overtime game against Oregon State. Um, and Oregon just really, they were very impressive, minus the last possession in Tucson last week. I guess give me the Ducks. And pull. Oregon just beat UCLA yeah, earlier give, this give week. Yeah, give me the home. Ducks to pull the upset. I, I think, yeah, I like them. 
I'll take them as well. They are another team who's on the bubble. They need to rack up wins, and this would be another good I one guess, for them. I said pull the upset even though they're favored. I meant upset in terms of rankings. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Oregon. Okay, last one. KU game, which you can hear here on KLWN tomorrow at 7 o'clock. Number 5, Kansas. At number 10, Baylor. The Bears giving up four points. Uh, Jayhawks. I think they probably win outright. I am with you. I have been leaning that way all week with the knockout games. Could be wrong. Baylor could have a good rebounding game. Dave could have a sore foot. Uh, LJ Crier could play. You know, a lot of things can happen. It's a tough place to play, but I, I definitely I will be very Vegas. interested to see tomorrow what the Vegas line is because a lot of times Vegas I line... I it's smaller than four. I, and it matches up to Ken Palm a lot, but I agree. I think it's closer to Baylor minus two. Yeah, that's my guess as well. But I would still take Baylor or Kansas there. Okay, with Adam Rivetta, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to hear from the head coach of the Free State Firebirds, Sam Strohs. We get ready for high school action tonight on KLWN. He'll join us in just a few minutes, or at least we'll play his uh, pregame audio. And then we'll have a new segment coming up in about 20 minutes from right now. This is RCST. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. About a quarter till five, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Coming up in the five o'clock hour, we'll have some more KU talk. We still got to get to our Rock Chalk Pickahawk for the game against Baylor on Saturday. We've also got some Ochak Baji. And Jalen Coleman lands audio to share for you from media availability at KU yesterday. But it's always exciting unveiling a new segment, and we're going to do that today. Hey. Work, workshop title, I guess. I don't know. Maybe we'll roll with this. Um, we're going to call it lie detector test, at least for the near term. I can't wait for the podcast. I'm going to tweet out like what's on the podcast, and it'll say lie detector test, and maybe somebody will think that we're actually taking a lie detector test for some dumb reason. We're not. We're not. Um, we're going to be the lie detector test for different things going on in sports. So we're going to go through some different, I don't know, headlines, stories, whatever, and kind of discuss if we think they're lying, if we think they're honest, or option number three, I guess, is just, no, they're probably honest. They're just stupid. I, I that might be too. For mean, example, but. Uh, let's see how good of a lie detector you are, Derek. Mm-hmm. Um, I can totally hang out with you tomorrow, but mm-hmm. I was gonna hang out with my extremely attractive girlfriend. Uh, she lives in Canada, mm-hmm. um, and just couldn't make it. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you'd be meeting her tomorrow. She's very attractive and very, very real and lives in Canada. Am I lying or telling the truth? Okay, uh, you were telling the truth about everything except that she can't make it. She can make it, but everything else was truthful. No, it was an entirely mm. lie. Well, that's unfortunate. There is no girlfriend. There's not <laughs> even a Canada. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I knew it was too good to be true. Maple syrup, nice people. Yeah. What is this? You know, 1600 Nationalized health care. Yeah, right. Um, anyway, let's get some music going for this. Um, All right, let me pick something. Yeah, pick something random. Get this thing rolling. Lie detector test, first segment edition here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta and Derek Johnson. I tried to stall long enough to get you to get the music, and here we go. Oh, yeah, this is intense music. Let's do it. Chiefs. This is the only one in our beds that we haven't played yet. <laughs> I don't know if this song will stick, but I love it. Let's roll with it. Uh, the Chiefs are hiring Matt Nagy as an offensive analyst. Is this a lie? Is it honest? 
Is it stupid? Um, I think it's a lie if they think he's going to stay that. And quarterbacks coach, mm-hmm. for, for the record. Yeah, to be clear, it's, um, it's honest that he is getting hired. We're yeah. not saying this like I, I, news, I, I'm but. sorry. I have to. I got to switch it. <laughs> okay, let's do that. That's so a little intense. <laughs> Um, I think I think the lie is that um, the the structure will stay be enemy OC mm-hmm. naggy quarterback coach slash offensive analyst. I think the I'll call it a half truth because I think with the part they're not telling is they have every intention to make him the OC next year. Yeah, that's how I view this. It's it's a lie in terms of we're bringing him on to be an offensive analyst because I think the idea is we're bringing him on to be the replacement for Eric Bieniemy. And as we discussed yesterday, the enemy coming back to the Chiefs, kind of a, a safety net type of thing. I don't think the Chiefs are in it with Eric Bieniemy for super long. I do want to say, um, I, I, I'm going to backtrack a little or, or somewhat, um, but Nate Taylor said in a podcast, and, and we have Josh Briscoe on a lot, and, and he's on that Times Ours podcast with Josh. Nate works for The Athletic and is one of the absolute best um in the industries he's one of the yeah, I mean, he does good work there's so many great chiefs beat writers and he's one of them he has he is on the record as saying that that mahomes actually really does like working with the enemy so i do want to put that out there um because i i said what i said the other day i still wonder but again i that is worth noting because it, when a voice like nate taylor says something like that i, I had to say that but yeah this basically goes one of two ways matt Nagy either is going to be the chief's offensive coordinator in a year after the enemy contract expires or matt Nagy got scooped up by someone else to be the offense coordinator. yeah to be right? their oc yeah and i'll say this like a lot of people are like oh are you serious because they saw the way that the bears thing went and the way that the bears thing finished and yes there are there are definite flaws of matt Nagy as a head coach um and just the way that he, I think, handles things, whether it's the media or the team, or maybe, you know, like times when he'd go to the media after the game and be like, we need to run the ball more. And yeah. like, well, you call the plays. You yeah, run yeah. the ball more. You yeah. know, stuff like that. But as an offensive coordinator, he was objectively good. He was objectively good his first season or two with uh, Mitch Trubisky and the Bears. He was objectively good. The season that Alex Smith was talked about for basically a while into the season as an MVP candidate. The season that started with him going off in New England. That was Matt Nagy. Yeah. And he was specialized, like, he kind of specialized being good with the Chiefs that year in terms of having creative plays with running backs lining up as receivers in short yardage plays. I think he's going to be a good add for this team, even though I don't think he's a good head coach. There are multiple examples of an offensive or defensive coordinator becoming a head coach, it not working out, going back to being a coordinator for their given side of the ball, and go- and going back to being a very successful... That's like what the Patriots do. Yeah, exactly. All the time. Josh McDaniels went right back to the Patriots, and, and what happened? They had, a, they had a... And now, granted, they had Tom Brady, but the Chiefs have, have Patrick Mahomes, and I think... Um, I think this will be. I like the hire, but I, I do think in the in the long run, I think the plan is he'll be the OC next yes. year. Yes. So kind of a, a half lie, honest that it's happening, partially a lie because we think that there are uh, more plans involved there. Bruce Arians, uh, obviously going to be looking for a quarterback this year at Tampa Bay. Maybe not. Maybe they already have the guy. Tom Brady says he's retiring. Who knows? Maybe he'll come back. But even if he does, maybe he'll want a different team. The current quarterbacks on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers roster, Kyle Trask, who they drafted last season, and Blaine Gabbert, the longtime NFL veteran, former first-round pick out of uh, the school over East. Uh, th- yes? Oh, sorry. No, I was, sorry. No. Uh, I was waving to somebody. Here's my the, hand went up. Here's the quote by Bruce Arians. 
People may not like the overall record, but Blaine had eight coaches and eight coordinators for his first eight years. He beat Jacksonville, their best year, and beat Tennessee, their big year for us in Arizona. And he's been in the system now. I don't have a problem there and let Kyle continue to grow. Either one has never played with a team this good. He got all the respect in the locker room that he can have. He is lying, and I think he's lying for <laughs> Blaine's sake. I think he wants to instill some confidence into Blaine Gabbert, who you're right now. He was under the Pinkle Dude, regime, Blaine right? Blaine was bad, yeah. But at Mizzou, he in was under NFL, the Pinkle yeah. regime, right? And, mm-hmm. and Pinkle was a really good, he was great he was a first quarterback round pick. in college. And he got, he got, yeah, Pinkle got him to a first-round pick status. Um, but no, he hasn't been a good NFL quarterback. He is Bruce Arians is completely lying, but he's lying to give his the Blaine some confidence, and he's lying and he's lying to give the team some uh, some confidence because you're going from Tom Brady to Blaine Gabbert. See, you could have convinced like if, if he would have given a quote about like, yeah, we love the way Kyle Trask is growing in the system. He could be the that next would, guy. Yeah, that sure. could be more believable. He was the third round pick. We've we haven't really seen him on the field, so we don't have evidence that that's not the case. We have very, very much evidence about Blaine Gabbert not being a good quarterback. He has played in sixty six games across ten seasons. He has fifty touchdowns to forty seven interceptions. Oh. He's only completing fifty six percent of his passes. Um yeah, he is he is not good. So, yes, this is very much a lie. The lie detector. Which one is the lie? Is it when the lie detector goes like up and down know. like I'm a not, roller coaster? I'm not familiar enough with them. Well, whichever one it is, this is the biggest lie you could possibly give. <laughs> uh, what do you mean he has? It's, it, oh I mean, it, 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 he feels like it's you know like every boxer. Even if his a boxer's getting his ass kicked, there's still one dude in the corner going, "You're the man." This is your round. You're coming out. Yeah. You're coming out. I know he knocked you onto the ground five times, and your eyes are so swollen you can't see anything, and your kidney just fell out, but you're the man. You're the man. You're going to get him this round. This is your round, and Bruce Arians, I think, is trying to be that guy for Blaine Gabbert. Bruce Arians hated Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston's not a great quarterback, but he is miles better <laughs> than Blaine Gabbert. So, yes, this is very much a lie, and if it's not, if he does end up starting Blaine Gabbert, then come back to this one and change it from lie to stupid. Uh, MLB said if a deal is not reached, this is from the owners and the actual, like the, I guess the the Death Star version of the MLB, uh, said if a deal isn't reached for a new CBA by February 28th, they will miss games. Truth, lie, stupid. I think it's stupid. I think they think they're, I think they think they're tra- telling the truth. I think it's possible that something gets done at like 2 a.m. Tuesday morning and then the owners can then backtrack and say, oh, and make try to make themselves look good. Like, oh, well, we we gave them a grace period. Um, but I think they think they're telling the truth, and I think it's stupid because I don't think they need as much time as they're claiming they need. I So I'm, I'm on board with you. It's stupid. I'm a, I think it's a stupid lie. Okay. Because I think this is a lie they are telling the players when they know it's not true to get them to believe that, hey, uh, the deadline's coming up. You guys better you know, basically take all these crappy deals we're giving you because uh, otherwise you're going to miss games and that's going to hurt you guys more than it's going to hurt us. I, I agree with you. It's stupid. Because, and, and I also think the players are not dumb enough to like not see through it. So for that reason, it's stupid. But yeah, I think it's a lie. But I, I could see what you're saying, that they actually do believe that. But it's up to the players how yeah. soon they can get ready. You know, yep. it's not up to the owners. So I think it's a stupid lie. Uh, Coach K... Did not finish out the second half against Wake Forest about a week ago, a week and a half ago, 
And here's the quote that came out about it. Said it was basically exhaustion, nothing else. I feel great. Now, Duke was up nine at halftime, so this might not be the classic Coach K of, hey, we just got upset by some team. I'm going to take away all your gear or I'm going to miss the next two games or whatever. Um, but do you think he's lying, honest, or stupid? I think he's being honest. I, I think he's old. I think I once saw a, a picture of Jim Beheim at an AAU tournament sleeping in a fold-up chair <laughs> in the shape of a qu- he was he was in the shape of a question mark mm-hmm. sleeping. I think he's old. I think this that job is is absolutely just. I think they love it, but I think it is just it's a. It really does awful things to to a person's health, and I think he's he's being honest. And and look, I've I will openly mock Coach K with his funny voice and his holier than thou attitude, but I I do wish him well. I don't want, and I know you feel the same. We, yeah. we don't want any anything to hurt. You know, we don't want him to hurt. But no. I think I think he's being honest here. Yeah, I I do agree with you. And yeah, like you said, um, I think there have been a lot of incidents in Coach K's career where it would not be being honest, or it would be stupid. But I do think in this case, it actually is being honest. They were up nine in the game. This isn't just something that I point to and say, well, you're just being a poor sport. Um, By the way, you know what's something I thought about? How many times, because this happened with Greg Gard and Jawan Howard, where Greg Gard grabs him to stop him in the line. and then How many times has Mike Krzyzewski done that? Grabbed somebody in line. And you know what he does is he especially will do it to players. You know how mad I would be if I saw the opposing coach try to lecture one yeah. of my players? Could you imagine if somebody just decked Coach K? Giving <laughs> Nary a rat's ass how many national titles he's won. <laughs> if I have if I have to watch another coach try to try to lecture to my kid, I would be infuriated. How about this from Aaron Rodgers? Him and Shailene Woodley reportedly breaking up. That was over all the news. Well, TMZ showing some photos reporting. They were seen at a coffee shop together in L.A. Aaron Rodgers and Shailene Woodley breaking up. Lie, honest, stupid. I don't care. Um, <laughs> so stupid? <laughs> stupid, yeah. Well, I'll go with stupid. Um, you know, I, I don't mm. care. Um, I, I've not. I've never been one to, to really care who's dating whom unless one of those celebrities mm. is dating me. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't care. Mm. So I, I will say I don't know and stupid. Okay, but Shailene Woodley, Hollywood actress. Yes, she is. Lives in L.A. Aaron Rodgers, NFL MVP. Wants to be looks, traded. Kind of looks like the guy from Iron and Wine right now. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers going to get traded. To The problem is both teams have quarterbacks. <laughs> so this doesn't work. The, this, the, 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 the rumors were always... He or they, nobody knew if it was him or, or them together, but there was one of them built a house in Nashville, which mm. lit up some ears. I think that was Rogers. I don't know. Yeah, th- this one's stupid. I don't really care. Uh, last one, LeBron on Luka Doncic. I think he was asked about this uh, at the All-Star break. Quote, I love everything about his game. I love everything about him. Uh, the way he plays the game reminds me of how I play the game. We're triple threats. We rebound. We pass. And we'll put up 40 on you, too, if you disrespect us. Absolutely. I, I'm i interested to hear yours, so I'm going to let you go first here. Okay. Um, because I, I, I'm i leaning lie, but then I'm trying to think of myself, well, why would he lie about that? Okay, so, so I think it's a lie from the standpoint of if you're viewing this as a direct comparison because the chances that Luka ends up being having the career of LeBron, that's so low, right? But I think it's a stupid honest moment 
it's it's an honest moment because a lot of things Luca does are reminiscent a little bit of uh, LeBron James in terms of the way his game goes, and he's a big guard wing type. But it's stupid because it's just so funny how like everything that happens. LeBron tries to like insert himself into it. Like when the Rams won the Super Bowl, he, he tweeted out, to have a, he was a like, yeah, Lakers we should have parade. A, a joint party for the Lakers, Dodgers, and Rams. It's like, no, no. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll stick with that. I, I like that. Stupid truth. All right, he's Adam Dravet. I'm Derek Johnson. That was our first edition of Lie Detector Test. This is RCST. Two hours down, one to go on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN and KLWN.com. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. Mentioned earlier in the show, the news story, Bobby Pettiford out for the season, which just adds more importance that you'll get Remy Martin back at some point. I mean, if all if all goes well with, with Joe Yesfu and Dwan Harris, ideally, you might not even need a, a third lead guard, but knowing that that's, you know, their games where guys struggle or injuries happen or foul trouble or just having another guy in general. If you're in a situation where you need another ball handler, it's important to have that third one. And I think it makes it even more important that Remy comes back. So I, it almost feels like the way that I, I've seen this being kind of talked about online by different, I don't know, media members and stuff. It seems to me like I, I don't know if he is going to play. I don't think it's a certainty or anything, but it seems like things are trending toward maybe it being a 50-50 proposition on Saturday that he could play against Baylor. Do you think that is best for KU? Do you think that is best for Remy Martin? I think, it, well, based on what it, everything seems to be, whatever he has can't get worse. It's just a matter of pain management. I'm fine with that. Um, my only concern is would the pain, would it take him longer to recover? Um, but I, I, I think that's, I think, Yes, I, I think it's good for KU and for him. Um, I could make the argument that, well, it's a game that, yes, you, you you would love to win. It would be a great, great, great win. But given next week, you don't necessarily need it, so you could keep that in mind. Um, but there was a situation that Bobby Pettiford played, and Self even said afterwards, he said uh, Dewan was just so was just so wiped that he just needed to buy a minute. For, for Dewan and, and Pettiford came in um, and, and and I can't remember which game that was but Self self said that you know he, he wasn't feeling great but Dewan was just so exhausted that they just needed to send in Pettiford just to buy a minute of, of rest for Dewan Harris and I think that could be I'd be fine with that being the role Remy Martin plays tomorrow yeah yeah I, I could see that happening I, I think Dewan, he does look, play Dewan Harris is going to have to basically he's going to be hitting 38 minutes now but would you agree this, that this is the reality if Remy does come back whenever it happens if it's tomorrow if it's next week at least in the short term at least for maybe that first game or two Joe's going to play more minutes than Remy I would hope I would think so I'd be surprised I would hope so and I'd be I'll say this: It's a very. I would argue it's a good sign if that's not the case, because it could mean that Remy comes in and he's he's white hot and he's cannon shots. Yeah. Well, but I would be I would I would I would be very surprised. And under normal circumstances, I would want Yesifu to play more minutes because he's more well conditioned and he's not injured. Um, but if the reason that Remy plays more minutes just happens to be that he's he's buzzing and he's just playing really well, then great. But no, I, I gotta think no tomorrow. Yes, whenever Remy's first two games back are, I think yes, Fu, 
two, three, maybe even four games. I think his first. Few I mean, games, it could be the rest of the season. Yeah, his first few games back, at least. I think. I think yes, if he's playing more minutes than Remy Martin. Yeah, I think it's something where Remy has to earn it over him. And there was the self quote yesterday, which we played for you on the show about how um, for Remy to to kind of get into crunch time, like he needs to do things that we're trusting him to play late in crunch time. We know that Joe Yesufu has had games where he's played late in crunch time, so I I think he kind of has established that trust. And on the t- yeah, and, and on the topic of trust, it, that's not suggesting that Remy has done anything wrong. But that's where it's the just small he has come in. He right? hasn't had the yeah it, it, yes that's true. He even when he was playing, there's a lot of talk that he wasn't doing the small things well. And Joe does exactly. And then on top of that, Remy, even if he had hit a point where he was like, okay, I'm going to start doing those small things, he hasn't had a chance to show it just because of his injury. Yeah. I think so. Um, so we'll see if he plays tomorrow and how much, if that is the case. Okay, we got to get to Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk. I have 11 wins. Adam has seven. He won the most recent outing, though. You have the first pick. Um, I, yeah, I'm i going to be boring and just go with Ochai. Okay. Ochai Baji, number one pick. I mean, it's, it's Brown or Brown or Ochai. I do think Brown, um, obviously, with the with the – other places he can fill up the stat sheet, but Ochai's Ochai had seven and f- seven rebounds, five assists last game. So I'll go Christian number two, um, and then I'll take Jalen Wilson at number three. Now it's kind of a discussion for me. I, I did go a little more off the beaten path the last couple of times we did this, but I'm getting back to it with Christian. Uh, the thing with this third pick is it's basically Jalen Wilson or David McCormick because they both get a lot of rebounds and. We've had some big games from them. If you go for 15 and 15, it's going to be a huge outburst on Rock Chalk Pickahawk. And with Dave's foot injury, I just don't totally know, you know, how much he's going to play, how well he's going to play. And that is a big worry for me in this game from Kansas' side because of the fact we mentioned how important defensive rebounding and everything is going to be for KU. So they need Dave to play well or play like a, a healthy version of Dave in this game, but because that's kind of a question mark and I don't know it, I will take Jalen Wilson. Then I'm taking David McCormick uh, with the same concerns that you just noted. Um, I would, I, in your position, I would take Wilson over McCormick mm-hmm. as well. Thank you. Um, so I do think the foot is is concerning, but I think there will be chances to grab rebounds. I think those rebounds could lead if you're if their offensive rebounds could lead to easy putbacks. Um, this is a much different team than West Virginia, but. A lot of his points came against came uh, from I think maybe six I think he had six points off of putbacks from offensive rebounds in Morgantown. Um, I think he's helped along with uh, in he's hindered by the foot, but I think he's helped by the absence of um, Chamwa Chachua. I think one thing that might hurt him is that he may just not play as many minutes because on defense he's going to have to stretch. Um, but I, I'll take David McCormick. My next guy, do I want to take Bobby Pettiford? What? I'm making a joke. Okay. I was um, like, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. This is a, this is aloof. Uh, Dwan. I'll take Dwan. Okay. I will take Bobby Pettiford. No. Um, <laughs> you can't have it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was lying about that report. <laughs> I say, okay, first of all, because we are on the fifth, sixth pick of this draft. I say because this is a very big game, and I think there's enough options to do it. I would like to go five picks deep on this one. Are you okay with that? Yes. Okay. We've done I that for water a in my games. mouth, so I couldn't. I only could give yeah. him a thumbs up. But so yes, I'm, I'm 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 good for that. Okay, so I have back to backs. Um, 
Mitch Lightfoot is just playing reliable minutes off the bench right now. Played really well last game. I'll take Mitch with the next pick. And then I will go with Joe Yesifu for the following pick. Even if Remy does play, like we said, I, I think Joe plays more. He played, uh, I think, 17 minutes in the first Baylor game. Wasn't the game where the stats jumped off the page, but he played well. He helped facilitate things and, you know, avoid some turnovers when he was on the floor. So I'll take Joe. I've got two, right? Yes, you do. Jalen Coleman lands. <sighs> this goes back to the Remy conversation. Yeah. Um, you basically have. I'm, I'm going to play it safe and do Zach Clements. Okay. So now I have the decision on my hands. Do I take the risk with Remy Martin? The problem is this isn't a situation where it's like if Remy plays, I, he's going to play 25 minutes and have the potential to score all these points. I think if he plays, it's for like one five-minute stretch in yeah. a game like this just to kind of get his feet back wet, uh, dip him in the pool, so to speak. I kind of view this as a K.J. Adams game. Again, when I yeah. say a K.J. Adams game, given where you are in the rotation, this doesn't mean like 20 minutes. It could mean an seven to ten minute stretch yeah, for KJ Adams. Everybody remembers the Texas Tech game in Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah, and that was what, like 10, 14 minutes? Yeah, some very impressive minutes, though. It was. And because of the fact that now the Baylor doesn't have Jonathan Chamochachua, basically a lot of their backup five minutes have been Jeremy Sohan, who is a six foot nine wing. He's basically mm -hmm. like a 3-4. Doesn't shoot it that well, but he can shoot it. I think he's at 32% this year on low attempts. Um, He's down to like 26 in conference play on like I don't know, two attempts per game, something like that. When that Texas Tech game that you mentioned happened, the big thing that the Red Raiders have and do is they basically have like five wings on the court. Their center, or the guy that they play at center a lot, Bryson Williams, is basically a three or a four man playing the five. And if that's the case for what Baylor's going to do in the minutes that uh, Flo Thamba isn't playing, and it feels like K.J. Adams is your best defensive matchup there because they're going to be in a spot where they're going to be switching five and you might want to be in a spot on that end where you're switching five. We haven't seen KJ play a lot lately, but we hadn't seen Clemens play a lot or at all. That was due to injury, but till the Oklahoma game, I think this is a KJ Adams game where he could give you five to eight minutes in this game, give you some good minutes against Zer Jeremy Sohan if he's in at the five, and uh, I'll go with KJ. So that leaves Remy undrafted. And watch, Remy will actually have He'll a big go game. go off, yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, that is Rock Truck Pickahawk. Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.